listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast, episode number 164. Today, it'll be myself, Keaton, on the pod with Matt joining. Uh, We've got some updates on where we're at between the players and the players, or uh, the league and the player association for possibly getting some kind of baseball play this season. Um, Players, I think right after uh, Matt and Jake recorded their podcast last week, the players... About 25 uh, minutes after that. Yeah, finished. pretty darn close. Uh, put out their proposal, so we haven't really had a chance to dissect that yet. So we'll talk about that. Uh, where things stand right now, um, such as like a week later, now that we've had some time to digest and people have got some sources and whatnot. And talk about where our confidence lies. And then uh, things are at least still moving forward with the league. Uh, we have Major League Baseball draft coming up this week, round one on Wednesday. Two through five on Thursday, all televised on ESPN, which is actually kind of nice. And uh, so we have a little bit of new stuff, future things to look forward. So we'll talk about some potential targets that we would like to see the Red Sox go for at pick 17. And then wrap it up with some listener questions. But first, let's just uh, get all the housekeeping stuff out of the way. Uh, You can follow Over the Monster on Twitter at Over the Monster. You follow myself at the Spoken Keats. Uh, Matt pretty much takes care of the Over the Monster stuff, so that's the best place to reach him. Check out all of our great content, and then even maybe check out Jake at DevJake on Twitter. If you want. If you we want. We won't hold you to that. <laughs> no, that part's not mandatory. <laughs> uh, and then Matt, just, uh, just a quick update on you, man. How you doing? It's been a while since we talked. been a few weeks. Yeah, doing uh, basically the exact same. The only difference is my hair is a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much the same here. Uh, recording from Minnesota, just to, I need to change the scenery, something other than my apartment. So I'm now in Minnesota. So that's fun. That sounds nice. Alrighty. So, well, I guess the, the highlights from the proposal that uh, the players put out right after you guys recorded, uh, the biggest is that this had a 114 game season with prorated salaries uh, and high risk players could opt out if they. So choose without pay. There was deferments on salary if the play uh, if the playoffs were canceled. Uh, and this seemed like a relatively reasonable starting point. Um, obviously, there are some things in there that the league wouldn't necessarily agree to. Um, the length of games seemed pretty long, and honestly, a little bit ambitious from the player side too, because I think that 114 games was over the course of like 121 days. Something like yeah, that. So a, there were double headers. Uh, there were double headers scheduled in there. I don't remember the exact layout, or I don't know how specific the reports got with it. But yeah, it was yeah. pretty condensed. Certainly aggressive. Um, I was surprised to see deferments, um, even though there was you know conditional deferments. I was surprised to see that they were in there um, at a couple different places, essentially with players opting out. Um, it's not necessarily a deferment, but kind of is for the league. And then if playoffs were canceled, so there's some things in there that the players obviously were conceding to and then wanted to be aggressive on. Uh, since they'd already agreed to prorated salaries, it makes sense that they wanted to get the most possible games in. And uh, the response was the owners didn't even make a counter. Um, this was pretty surprising to me because this seemed very reasonable and seemed like the players were actually starting to kind of make some concessions to get something accomplished. And the league basically just had no response to it. This When this came out, uh, I don't remember exactly the, which day, but essentially there was enough time to like read it through once, kind of get the point. And then by the time people were heading back to Twitter to put their, out their thoughts on it, I think it was John Heyman already had a source from an owner that said it was a non-starter and there, there, nothing to it was going to be agreed to, which is not really what you want to see. But for the majority of the responses that we saw, on Twitter from national folks and local folks, it seemed like this was something that may have been going in the right direction. 
So I'm just surprised to see the owners just so wholeheartedly reject it and not even propose their own counter to it or use it as a place to start negotiations. Yeah, I mean, I was totally floored. Um, I mean, I kind of thought the players weren't going to counter with this offer that you were just talking about because if you recall before that, the owners had um, put forth a ridiculous offer with that out-of-control like sliding scale where Mike Trout would have had like an 80% pay cut or whatever it was. Um, so, I mean, this seems a lot more reasonable than that. Like you said, the 114 games is never going to happen, but it seems like um, it seems like it was in a reasonable spot where they could kind of meet in the middle and they would be at like that 80 game mark that everyone kind of seems to agree is the sweet spot. Um, I forgot to put it in our notes, but another big part of that offer from the players was, was a concession to the owners. They agreed to expanding the playoffs, not just this year, but for the next two years after that. And I think we all know that if you do it three years in a row, it probably would have just been how it is for the rest of time. And that's a huge moneymaker for the owners. And that seems like a big olive branch because the players are never going to want to expand play like that. Um, It's just not usually how things work. So, I mean, I thought that was a nice olive branch. And I figured when I, when that offer first came for the players, my immediate reaction was, okay, we're finally moving in the right direction. Like within the week, we're going to have a deal where it's 80 games, um, they'll keep the expanded playoffs, they'll keep that opt-out stuff um, for the players, and the deferments will be more set in stone and not um, just based on if the playoffs are canceled. I mean, it just seemed like such an obvious progression, and the owners, that they didn't even make a counteroffer is just so frustrating. Like, they're talking about, oh, we're still open to negotiating, but we're not making a counteroffer? That's not negotiating. <laughs> you're not. You're not open to negotiating because you're not... No, doing a counter order. I couldn't believe it when I saw that. Yeah, and I think I think you, the reaction that you had was the reaction that a lot of people had on Twitter that I was seeing to it was, sure, there's some things that are a bit difficult and aggressive from an owner's perspective, but this is the right starting point to build off of. And there was a ton of optimism that something was going to get done, and it was immediately just squashed by the owner's reaction to just completely ignore it and essentially be offended by it. And I think. There was even, um, I can't remember who had it now, it was probably Heyman, but had somebody saying essentially as a counter to it that we're going to threaten to play like 30 or 40 games instead. Yeah, that was passing. Um, yeah, that's just so absurd to me. Like, all right, so initially when they were talking about doing this, it was playing 80 games. Players obviously want to be a little bit more aggressive. The owners in their... Um, their initial proposal it was a lot less but like you said like that 80 game sweet spot seemed like that was probably where it was going to be settled so why wouldn't the owners just start there just say all right 114 is too many um cut it down to 80 expand the playoffs forever or something like that it just it's there's so many pieces to this proposal from the players that it is a great negotiating jump off between the two parties and then for like you said the owners to just be like well no, we'll still negotiate but no we're not this is we'll this negotiate is but we're not offended by it. it yeah it's it doesn't make sense and like i no. i still feel like the deferments are like the way to get it done like do the 80 games with the full prorated salaries but then you can bring in the sliding scale and say the more money you make the more we can defer down the line for a few years um and I, yeah. it just seemed like such an easy way to get it done and yeah i mean the owners are still holding on to that i think it's uh, been reported it's kind of settled in at 48 games they're just holding that in their back pocket because technically by that march deal um that the players in the league agreed to um by giving the players prorated salary the owners got the ability to set the schedule however they wanted. Um, and so they're just kind of holding to that. They're basically saying, if you're insisting on prorated salary, we're going to, we're just going to play 48 games and that's, we're not going to do any more than that because we can't, they're saying they can't afford any more. And again, I mean, I've, this has been said a million times, but if you, if that's really the case, just open your books and show it. 
Like you have to show your work. You can't just assume people are gonna take what you're saying at face value and it's gonna be okay. So, I mean, a 48 game this yep. season just sounds like a total joke. Yep. What is the minimum number of games you would want to see? If they're doing a regular season, if it's less than 80, I it just seems pointless to me. I agree. 40 games is a, is a bit of a stretch, but we we see it all the time where teams have a really hot month in the first month. Like last year, Seattle Mariners, I think, were leading the West or only like a game or two behind Houston at like the 30-40 game mark. And then I don't think they won a game the rest of the year. And so that I don't think is a large enough sample for teams to really kind of flesh out who they are. But 80 seems incredibly reasonable to me. And that's kind of, it it still seems like that's where we expect things to land. But I'm, I mean, I was incredibly pessimistic the last time you and I talked and we gave like the percent chance that we thought something might happen. I think I was at like 10 or less than 10. And I'm way less than that now. I just, I don't think it's going to happen. See, I still do. I think the 48-game season is going to happen. And I think everyone's going to hate it. You think so? But it just, I mean, I don't know why it wouldn't. Because from unless I'm missing something, the owners can just say, this is happening. And, like, this is, we agreed, they agreed to it in the March deal, and they can just do whatever they want. Um. I think it would be terrible. I think everybody would hate it. I think you'd hear a lot of complaining from players. I think a lot of players would probably sit out the season. Um, it would be exactly what the league does not need. But I still think that that's, at the very least, that's what's going to happen. Well, they agreed to uh, an 80-something game season in March, right? With prorated salaries? Well, they agreed to... And then there was... <clears throat> they agreed to the owners could change the schedule if they needed to. There was, I don't think right. there was a set number of games in that agreement. Oh, okay. It was just the players. I thought they had, a, I thought they had a set number of games, and then they could they could um, change it if I mean, there were no fans. Been, I think. Yeah, and that's what their sticking point is now. Like, if there's no fans, then it needs to be less, and that's what they're struggling with. So I thought that may have been it, but maybe that was just everybody assumed it was, the number was going to be eighty. So yeah, they I just think put that out there that like we'll probably play eighty. Yeah, I think that might have been what it is. And to your point okay. about like the small sample weirdness, um, somebody I feel bad because I don't remember who it was, but somebody on Twitter um, posted like the National League standings last year through fifty games, and there were nine teams that were qualified for at least like a play-in uh, for a playoff spot, and none of them were the Nationals, who obviously ended up winning the World Series. So, yeah, yeah I, mean, it's I just... guess that probably would have been a better example than the Seattle one. Yeah, because they were under 500 for like the first half of the season. Till like very late in May, they were like, yeah, like very late in May, they think they were like 12 games under 500 or nine games under 500 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yep. So, yeah, I mean, it's, and I mean, I've talked about this. It's literally impossible for this to happen because the players and the owners would have to agree to like a whole new structure and it's just not going to happen but i if you're going to play less than 80 games i just want to see like a big round robin like world baseball classic style tournament for like six weeks like a 48 game season is not a season so if you're going to play baseball with it not being a real season just do something fun <clears throat> and like find a way to like really get your stars out there in like a different format and just figure out a way to make it like super accessible and all that um it's definitely not going to happen, but I would so much rather see that than the 50-game season. I would be way more excited for that type of format than the 40-game, kind of like the same way. But if they did it like um, almost like World Cup style, where they had yeah, group draw play and all that. Yeah. And, yeah, and just grouped, like the Red Sox could be paired with San Francisco and Texas and minnesota yeah just do it and, all in arizona or something so you don't have to worry about the travel yeah. and you can just have them all there <clears throat> yeah and they would just get i mean there would definitely be some weirdness where like the royals would like make it to like the round of 16 or whatever i mean that would be so much fun that would be fun that would be a lot of fun i'd be totally into that especially mixing up like the group play not being teams from your division like that would actually yeah, be kind of fun that you to never see, see that before for a year or you never see yeah. like uh frequently yeah for sure 
but again, I mean, they would have to be, they would have to agree to like every little part of it and they can't agree on anything right now. So there's just no way they'd be able to make up an entirely new format that we've never seen before. Yeah. Yeah. It seems pretty late for some of that stuff to come up. Well, I guess, uh, let's have a, let's have a, uh, heat check again. What, what's your confidence on a scale of one to 10? Do you think something's going to get done? something getting done includes the owners just saying we're having a 50 game season i'm at like a seven still what about for the two sides agreeing on something and there being a season three yeah that probably makes sense i think i'm at a two for both i just and i think the worst part of and i think the worst part of this is like this is gonna be a month coming up essentially in a year and it's so frustrating because there's a very real possibility that we don't have a season this year, have a season next year, and then have another lost season and only play one year of baseball in a three-year span. That's why I think something's going to happen, and I, it's not good reasoning. It's not sound reasoning. It's just I can't imagine that happening. Like it's it'd be an absolute disaster. I mean, baseball is certainly capable of shooting themselves in the foot that poorly. Yeah, but I just I can't. They can't be that stupid. They just can't. I don't know. Um. <clears throat> so I guess along the same lines of that heat check, our first listener question from Scott Nadell, who says uh, over under eighty games to be played. I mean, I'm taking a pretty good mark. If I'm if I'm getting that at like a casino, I'm taking the under and I'm putting a whole lot of money on that under. Because I feel like it's the two most reasonable, um, or the two most likely options are the fifty game season or no season. Yeah, we're kind of running out of time to fit that many games into a year now, without yeah a lot of just like going deep into the winter, which wouldn't make any sense even if they were all. Uh, congregated in one place, and that's one thing. Season happen. That's one thing. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that both of us are uh, firmly on the player side of this. But I will give yeah. the owners um, some credit here, and I will agree with them a little bit that playing you can't play too deep into the season. First of all, it messes up the next season, and you have to deal with neutral sites to play in the winter, and also that second wave of. COVID, even though everybody loves talking about the second wave and we're not really through the first wave, but um, I mean, people, there's a legitimate, I certainly am not qualified to tell you what kind of risk there is for that second wave in the fall, but it certainly seems like something to be worried about. So I wouldn't really want to plan on the playoffs starting in November and just, I mean, it seems like there would be a pretty decent chance that that would just have to be scrapped altogether. So I will give the owners, um, I will be on their side on that, where I think you still have to end it at a normal time. Try. I would try it. Honestly, ended it even a little bit earlier, but at this point, I don't know how possible that would be. Yeah, so I think I'm with you on that. I think I'd take the under on eighty, but yeah. I'd still like to see about that number played. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, enough of that sad stuff. So I have plenty of time to talk about that later. But we have a draft coming up this week, so. Major League Baseball draft um, will be like televised, I think, on like four different channels this year, which has actually got us some nice exposure. Um, it'll be really interesting to see it televised just in this short format because it's pretty similar to like the NFL draft. Um, it's I don't think people have interest in like watching all forty rounds of a normal draft. They don't so, even do uh, the. F- I believe the final round is just a conference call. So I've definitely that listened, makes sense. or the final day, I mean, because I've definitely listened to that. That's rounds 11 through 40, and it is just, like, speed speed drafting. Like, teams get, like, 30 seconds or something to make a pick, and it's all <laughs> on a conference call, and it's so hard to keep track. Good. I hate the draft. I'm so glad it's only... It's, it being five rounds this year is total bullshit, but just selfishly, as somebody who has to cover this, it is going to make my life so much easier. Yeah. And it'll be really interesting to see it like nationally televised and see kind of what the response is. Even though there's there's not a lot going on right now in terms of sports and things, it'll see. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how much that draws and how people pay attention to it. Yeah, I'm not super. Confident so hopefully, that's it'll be positive. Be. But I, I don't think it's going to get that good ratings just because 
nobody I'm watches not. college baseball, so it's not it's not like the NFL where everybody knows all these kids getting drafted. Yeah. True. True. Alrighty. Um, but it is gonna happen. And uh it's only five rounds, round one on Wednesday, two to five on Thursday, televising ESPN. Uh, the Red Sox only have four picks because they have they're missing their second pick. So just broad stroke thoughts from you on uh, the draft this year before we get into our more specific pieces. Uh, yeah, so I'm really interested to see um, what happens to the high school players in like the top 15 picks um, because. Most of these kids, I mean, high school, the, that spring leading into the draft of their senior year is such a huge piece to see kind of how they developed from the previous summer uh, when they were doing all their showcases and everything and having that like totally scrapped. I'm really fascinated to see just how scared some teams are, which teams seem to be on the conservative side, which teams seem to be on the aggressive side. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. And I also am really really fascinated by what's going to happen during the undrafted portion um because that i just have you could tell me anything you could tell me nobody signs you could tell me a ton of teams sign like 20 kids each i mean i literally have no idea what's going to happen after the draft so i think if i had to pick one thing it would probably be the undrafted uh free agent part of it that i'm really interested to see how it plays out yeah, Jake's brought that up a lot too, and I mentioned that in my roundtable piece on Friday that Jake is putting a lot of stock in um, prospects' ability to pick their team versus be drafted and you know their your right to be owned by one specific team. And he thinks that a lot of teams are gonna take advantage of that, and the undrafted class that people are that teams are gonna sign this year is gonna be pretty massive. I'm just not and I'm not convinced <clears throat> by that though. Cuz the bonus is so small. It is. But essentially that's that's basically what Jake's point was that even though the bonus is really small, uh the I don't know, cost whatever of being able to pick your team um and situation that you would be going into even I mean it's it's different than like a college quarterback being picked by a team that has no offensive line and no weapons uh, and being able to pick going to a team that has all that stuff stable because you're not going to play right away. So if you, if you're a prospect that, you know, signs with the Red Sox who have a hole at second base at the major league level right now, well, by the time you get to the major league level, yeah, that, might, not, that might be a strength. It's really, so yeah. I, it's really about development, like reputation of the developmental staff and yeah. stuff like that. Um, yeah. So I, th- but I think it's it, there's, there's enough of like a, I mean, I was terrible at baseball in high school, so like n- no one was paying attention to me. But if I had a chance to sign with the Red Sox or somebody else, I would sign for the Red Sox because I like my hometown team. So I just wonder how much of that you'll end up seeing. I think it's going to come down to a lot of it's going to come down to like socioeconomic status for these players and who can afford to like take that pay cut to. Um, yeah, play for a, a team they too. want to, and who? I mean, twenty thousand dollars. It's uh, it's a nice signing bonus, but then when you realize you're not, you're getting four hundred dollars a week this season as a minor leaguer, and then assuming things get back to normal next summer, you're still making. I mean, in the low minors, you're making like a twelve thousand dollars salary. Um, I mean, that's not a lot. <laughs> like it's tough to live on. So if you don't have like that support system behind you, you're probably better off just going to school for another year. Um, being able to kind of not that you're not getting screwed at school too, but being able to at least have like that college system to fall back on and then enter the draft next year and look for like a six figure signing bonus. Um, but again, I mean, if you do come from a strong background, like a strong financial background and your parents can kind of float you through a year or two in the minors. Um, yeah, absolutely. This would be the time to take advantage of getting in an organization that you would like to be a part of and you think can actually bring your career to another level. Yeah. And, and that, that may like, kind of like you point out that may be the case or teams may not sign. Yeah. It could, really it could happen at all. Anything could happen. <laughs> Completely I just, swing the other way. Yeah. Nothing. We've never seen anything close to this before. So nobody really knows what to yeah. expect. So I think I'm with you. I think that's the piece that's the most interesting to me is just the, the post draft 
uh, undrafted I'm even interested. section, just seeing what, how that plays out. I'm even interested just seeing how quickly it plays out. Like, is this going to be a thing where, like, on Friday, yeah. there's going to be a bunch of deals, or are these <clears> going to be, like, sprinkling through for, like, the next three months? Professionally, I would like to know this, because I don't want to have to be dealing with this for, like, three months. Let's just get it all over <laughs> with quickly. Fair. Fair. All right, well, the Red Sox have uh, their first pick at number 17 in the first round. Best pick in a while. And you and I put together some, yeah, I guess their first pick in the first. Outside the top. something. Yeah. No, I meant like their best pick in a, or their highest pick in, since the groom year, which was what, 2016? Yep. That was number 12. Yeah. I remember that. Oh, because I wrote about that on the previous round table. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we put together a list of targets. Uh, top five targets we'd like to see the Red Sox take a peek at at that pick, and uh, we'll each we'll alternate. We'll start with five and work our way up to number one. Uh, why don't you start with your number five target? So number five, I had. So number five, I had uh, Nick Lofton. I um, the sense has seemed to be leading up to this draft, the Red Sox are going to be really aggressive with this top pick and kind of worry about the bonus stuff later. Um, I mean, their bonus pool is pretty small this year without having the second pick. Um, but it seems like the last few days that's kind of slowed down at least a little bit. Um, and I would like to see them go with a high upside player, I think. I wrote about this in the roundtable um, this past Friday that I think the Red Sox weakness, they're, they don't have a great farm system, but I think that's because of the top-end talent. I think they have a lot of like pretty solid talent. Um, all that being said, Lofton doesn't really fit that, but I still really like the profile of a college shortstop who should be able to stick at the position, who should be able to move relatively quickly through the system, um, especially with not having a minor league system this year. I think that could be something that's really underrated is having that polish already. Um, so you can kind of jump into the deep end next year. Um, he doesn't really have one standout tool, but he's very he's good to very good at just about anything. Um, so he's more of like a high floor than a high ceiling guy. But um, and I said this in the write up of him in my draft preview last week. It's really weird to say a shortstop who can play good defense and is at least average across the board doesn't have upside. So. Um, not the most exciting player on the board. He's ranked 29 on Baseball America, but he's a guy that I think could move quickly through the system, and that's, even if it's not exciting, that's something that can be a little underrated sometimes. Yeah, looking at a list, it was kind of interesting. Um, you went a bit heavier on hitting, and I went a bit heavier on pitching. You went a bit heavier on the college names. I went a bit heavier on the prep names. But we actually both kind of have a similar pick here so my fifth target is ed howard who is also a shortstop with a high ceiling who fields really well and the bat should come along but not going to be the carrying tool he's not like a super sexy aggressive uh prospect that really kind of has i mean outside of fielding like a carrying tool that would make you excited about him in terms of fantasy or anything like that but opportunity to become a really solid major league regular up the middle it's a pretty, pretty nice piece to have. And I think that even though he is uh, 18 years old, the just his ability to field gives him a pretty high ceiling. Um, the baseball, uh, Major League Baseball pipeline, Emily pipeline. There we go. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Good Lord. <clears throat> um, doesn't have really poor grades on his hitting, um, but just notes that it's far ahead of the power he obviously has time to grow into it, but with his ability to field really well, like he could be like a Andrelton Simmons 2.0 kind of guy where he'll hit for average, probably won't have a whole lot of counting stats, but he'll play really good defense and just kind of be like a solid major league player uh, on your franchise, you know, up the middle. Not super sexy, obviously not a, a position that the Red Sox are hurting for now, but uh, certainly has time to grow into it. Um, and that just kind of caught my eye. I saw Pipeline has him ranked number 16 or uh, 15, which is obviously the rank is a couple spots ahead of the pick. But um, 
a few of the mock drafts that I was looking at to kind of gauge what players would be around for this exercise, none of them had him going ahead of 17, which I thought was kind of interesting. So that might be a chance if they're looking for a bat to kind of get a developmental project with a really high floor. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I actually, I had Howard at number five and I changed it at the last second to Lofton. Um, I do like Howard. He kind of reminds me of uh, Jose Iglesias when Iglesias was coming yeah. up. And Iglesias, yeah, that's a good one too. for as much as Iglesias might not really hit all that well, he's a pretty consistent two to three win player every year. Um, that doesn't sound great, but that's a really nice piece to kind of have as a foundation in the middle of your infield. Um, yeah. So I do like how it Every sure. team's got to have a guy like that. Yes. All right, who is your number four? Uh, so number four, I went with uh, Jared Kelly. Um, he is basically exactly what you think of when you think of a right-handed pitcher from Texas. Uh, he is just a Big, big boy who throws big fastballs, uh, gets up to triple digits. He kind of sits in uh, her Baseball America, says he gets to 97-99 with shocking ease. Um, he has really clean mechanics for a high school kid who is throwing this quickly, which there's always going to be injury risk with a high-velocity uh, prep arm, uh, only 18 years old. But just with his mechanics, it eases that concern at least a little bit. He also has a really outstanding changeup. Um, he's missing the breaking ball right now. It's still kind of a work in progress, but I've seen the Red Sox kind of give... I've seen the Red Sox, the one thing that I will give them credit for on the pitching development side is they have added cutters, very good cutters, to a lot of pitchers. So I think if you can give him like a cutter that's like 89, 90 miles an hour to go with a really good changeup and a big-time fastball... That's a really exciting player. Um, I don't think this is going to happen. For one thing, Kelly could go pretty much anywhere. I've seen him as high as like the just outside the top 10 or just inside the top 10. I've seen things uh, him going as low as the Orioles' second pick. Um, the Orioles might go under slot with the second overall pick and then try and grab someone like Kelly and tell them that they're going to give him a big bonus at number 30, kind of what the Astros did. Kind of like what the Astros did a few years ago when they did uh, when they drafted Carlos Correa and then Lance McCullers later in that draft. Um, so I don't know how likely this is. Um, Keith Law has also said that the Red Sox probably aren't going to go after a high school pitcher, which obviously Jared Kelly is that. But um, Keith Law isn't right all the time. So I'm still getting my hopes up for this. He's just I just like my big boy right-handed Texas pitchers. They Lost Michael Kopech in a very good trade, and now this could be like the next Michael Kopech and get him back in the system. Yeah, that's something that I've noticed about this class that uh, maybe it was because you know we lost a, an extra spring of evaluating, but it seems like the prep arms are all grading out with a lot better control than you would normally see from prep arms, yeah. uh, and particularly guys like. This, who have triple-digit heat, uh, Pipeline has him at a 55 control, which is wildly impressive for someone who throws as hard as he is and is 18 years old. Normally, you're looking at guys like, um, oh my god, what was the dude that the Rockies drafted? Can't remember, Pines? but he threw, yeah, that's the one, right. Riley Pines, yeah. uh, where he's got like a 30 control, but can consistently throw 103, 104. Something like that. Or um, Yadier Alvarez for the Dodgers. Similar situation. It's really why he hasn't made it to the Dodgers yet is because uh needs to work significantly on his control still all these years after being drafted. But most of the prep arms here, or at least first-round prep arms, all have like 50-55 control, which is a lot better than I would expect from a lot of these kids. So I don't know if that is this class really is that refined on the prep side or if it's something that scouts and evaluators would have preferred to have a little bit of extra time to evaluate some of these guys but i thought that was just an interesting observation and um i'll talk well i've talked about a lot right now but i'll hit on it again with my guys too about their control but these are the kind of guys that i was looking at um like prep arms that had at least a carrying pitch and really good control and kelly's Incredibly interesting, and I'm surprised because I was looking at. Um, I know you did an article 
about like a bun- where a bunch of different mock drafts had the Red Sox taking, and so I was looking at those as well, prepping for this, and that was something that I noticed too, and that was actually kind of why I left them off my list, was there didn't seem to be much consensus about them, so I was wondering how accurate the scouting really was. Yeah, it's all, it's sort of all over the place. My understanding is I mean, the like the last Baseball America mock has him, like I was saying, at 30 to the Orioles, so I think that's where a lot of the uncertainty is kind of coming with, from with him. Um, I think scouts agree that he is very good and he's better than like the 30th pick, but just the fact that the Orioles might be looming and might be telling him like, Hey, we'll give you a big bonus at 30. If you kind of hold out there. Um, so I think that might be scaring some teams off and sort of confusing some of the mock draft people. Uh, this is also the hardest. I mean, every draft is hard to mock. Um, this is the hardest draft that any of these guys have ever had to do a mock for just because nobody really knows what's going on. Yeah. It is going to be interesting to see, but I thought that was an interesting pick and that was someone that I had thought about for my list, but um, it will be interesting to see where he ends up going. Uh, My number four was uh, college arm after I just talked about how much I was looking at prep arms. I went with Cole Wilcox, who um, also actually doesn't have that great of grades on his control. Pipeline has him at a 45, but I really like his fastball slider combination a lot, which Really good fastball slider combo and lacking control usually means they're going to the bullpen. Um, but he's 6'5", 232, so he is just built. And I think that kind of frame, he'll be able to last as a starter. And the reason why I was looking at starters or just pitchers in general more than hitters is I think that just the Red Sox farm system just doesn't have any. And this seemed like an interesting draft to be aggressive to try and get like, kind of like you said, like a replacing Michael Kopech, kind of like a, just like a top stud pitching prospect. And so I'd like to see them be aggressive and kind of go that route. Although, go that route. Although, it's always a crapshoot. Might not. So Red Sox are also um, known for not doing very well with their pitching prospects. Yeah. And actually, the last two times I had draft picks, I believe... Oh, well, no, because Benintendi was, like, sixth. Yeah, he's seventh. But Trey Ball at seven yeah. was a flop. And uh, Groom, so far, has been unimpressive for where he was touted to go and his skill set initially when he was drafted. So, chances are high they'll probably make that mistake again. But I would like to just kind of see them throw caution to the wind and go for it. And uh, really what drew me to Wilcox was just his frame. He's 20-year-old, 6'5", 232. He's just he's built like a house. And that's kind of the a nice, solid frame for a projectable pitcher. So even though with the lack of control, um, I just like how he's built and his fastball-slider combination. Yeah, I like Wilcox. Um, like you said, the control kind of scared me off. Uh, putting him in my top five, but he had been, he's one of those guys that really kind of got the short end of the stick with the college season getting canceled so quickly. Cause he was showing better control very early in the season, but um, it was sort of like too small of a sample for scouts to really buy totally into it. But he's a guy that could have sort of rocketed up these boards if he showed that over a full season. So he could be a potential steal for somebody. And like you said, I mean, worst case scenario, you have this big, giant righty who throws a big fastball with a big sweeping slider if you had to put him out of the bullpen sort of like a Tanner Houck situation that's not the worst outcome in the world um, so yeah I definitely do like Wilcox um, see number three I went with a college hitter um, this is kind of my sort of pie in the sky pick uh, Garrett Mitchell from UCLA he's sort of been all over the place um, in mock drafts that I've seen. I've seen him as high as like number six uh, to Seattle and I've seen him as low as um, like in the 20s. I think he's probably going to be off the board by the time the uh, Red Sox come up, but he is he is just a crazy athlete. Um, plus plus speed. He's going to stay in center field. He can cover so much ground out there and he has good instincts to pair that speed with and be like a truly plus center fielder. Um, he has bananas power in batting practice, um, but it hasn't totally shown up consistently at the plate. Um, he really just needs to kind of refine himself and kind of calm himself down at the plate a little bit. 
but as we were saying with the Red Sox, pitching development has been so bad. On the flip side, they've been very good at developing uh, position players. And a guy who already has this base of tools and has this athleticism and already has the floor with his defense in the outfield, and he has the big arm out there too, and he has that potential for power, and he can make contact, um, just needs to do it more consistently. I would be, I would go crazy if I probably should have put him number one because I really like him. I just think the chances of him falling that far are super low. But if he does fall there, I mean, that is that would be an absolute steal for the Red Sox. Yeah, totally agree. I like him a lot too, but I think it's, I didn't have him on my list for no what you outlined. I, just, I didn't think it was going to yeah. be there. Yeah, that's so, fair. I, the latest tough to uh, baseball America has him going fourteen. In the in their last mock, which would be like just close enough for me to like get really upset about it. Yeah, but kind of in a similar fashion, the guy that I had at number three is somebody who has shown just uh, an aggressive amount of pop and ability at the plate. I went with Austin Hendrick, outfielder from Pennsylvania. Um, kind of, I mean, following along a lot of what you said, except that he's. Uh, a prep bat that might be available at the pick. Um, the Red Sox ability to develop hitters is pretty well documented as successful. So um, there is definitely some concern that he gets overly aggressive and there's too much swing and miss in his game, a la Javi Baez. But trusting the Red Sox development and knowing what they're doing in developing hitters, this seems like a guy that has the high upside that they might take a chance on and hope to develop into that kind of player. Um, he was really inconsistent in his last showcase, um, which isn't great, but all of the reports that I read from Pipeline and Baseball America and Baseball Prospectus had him as a guy that his ceiling is as high as anybody else in the draft from the prep side. And if they're able to get him and develop him like they have developed others, I think that would be a pretty good match and a chance for them to kind of find someone who's a stud for them for a while. Yeah. He's kind of, like you said, he's kind of been all over the place too. He's uh, you know, baseball America's last mark. They had him going right before the Red Sox at number 16. So um, like these high school kids, you never really know where they're going to end up just because, all the uncertainty um some team might get aggressive and grab them early but it's really not totally out of the question that any of these high school kids fall too too far fall um to the red sox because like i said it's just nobody knows what to expect from any of these guys especially someone like hendrick he's from pennsylvania so it's not like a baseball super baseball hotbed um I also went with a high school outfielder with my next one, number two. Um, I had uh, Pete Crow Armstrong. Um, if I were to bet on the Red Sox making any one pick, he would be my bet. Um, they've been connected to him basically from since the start of draft coverage. Um, he just seems like a Red Sox kind of player. Um, he's not super big, six feet, 175, um, but he has it extremely sweet swing from the left side. Um, he reminds me a lot of Benintendi. Um, certainly not as polished as Benintendi was when he was drafted, but he has sort of the same kind of profile with that really sweet swing. Uh, solid enough power, but it's really the hit tool that is going to carry him at the plate. He's gap to back gap guy, makes a lot of contact and hits it on the line a lot. Just makes a lot of really strong contact. Um, he's also better defensively than Benintendi is profiled to be. Um, Armstrong should be able to stick in center field pretty easily. Um, so he sort of doesn't have the huge ceiling, but I am a sucker for hit tool uh, based prospects. And he seems, he just seems to be right up the Red Sox alley. Yeah, that's a pretty solid one. I probably should have had him in the top five, but uh, they were my preferences and not who I thought the Red Sox were <laughs> yeah, going to hit, sure. so I kind of went in a different direction. But I, I agree with everything you said, and <clears throat> Red Sox have an affinity for those sweet left-handed swinging outfielders, so that's, that's a perfect fit. My number two was Mick Abel, who, uh, now that I don't have the list in front of me, 
Somebody had the actually might have been Pipeline had the Red Sox taking him at seventeen. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, but Baseball America, uh, did, I know that a few of them. He's a few of the mocks have had him. He's a prep pitcher, six five, one ninety. Um, that frame really interests me. Uh, but then, kind of looking at how he graded out, he graded out with um, you, and particularly like tall prep pitchers like that generally don't have great control. But a lot of places had him with a fifty five, which was incredibly impressive. And so, a tall prep guy with a really great frame and mechanics. Uh, and average or better grades on pretty much every single pitch that he had, and a 55 on his control, is incredibly enticing and like the perfect framework to build a prospect around and kind of make him into like the top pitching prospect in your system kind of thing. So, um, I know that you're about to talk about him as well, and um, really the only reason that I didn't have him number one was because I thought at 190 he's a little skinny. But then again, he's also 18, so plenty of time to grow into that. Um, yeah, Baseball America has him at 198, or whatever that's worth. I don't know what the extra eight pounds, uh, how much that would sway <laughs> you, but just... Is that with a glove worth. and cleats? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but yeah, I have I have Abel as my number one. Um, he is, I've absolutely fallen in love with him, um, and it seems semi-realistic that he could be there. Um, I think most evaluators agree that he is better than the 17th best prospect in this draft, but he, he didn't pitch at all the spring. Um, Oregon's entire high school season got canceled before it even got started. So that has kind of caused him to move down on some draft boards. Um, if you had asked me three days ago, I would have said there's absolutely no way the Red Sox let him get by 17. If he falls to that point, now the Keith law statement about them, he said there's no way that they're drafting a high school pitcher. That is scaring me a little bit. I still would hope that they would take him if he's there because of, of all the reasons you just said. I mean, I really don't have to go through it, everything. He has everything you want. He has the big fastball. Um, Baseball America said that scouting directors voted his uh, slider as the best breaking ball of any prep pitcher in this entire class. Um, so, I mean, a plus fastball and a plus slider with an above-average changeup, I mean, that's just that's just a crazy base for a prep pitcher to um, build off of. And, yeah, I mean, if they had had a normal high school season, he would be a top-ten pick. Had a normal high school season, he would be a top-ten pick. And I, Woodstocks get a chance to take him at 17 and don't. I'm going to be extremely upset because this is, this is like <laughs> the one – Good thing about a weird draft like this is you have a chance for like top talents to follow you, and they did it with Jay Groom in that draft. Um, he had some weird stuff going on that made him fall to twelve, which was way below where anybody thought he would should have ended up grabbing. And I was very happy they grabbed him. Obviously, that hasn't worked out super well, but that's the process that I want to see. And so, if they get another chance to do that with Abel, um, I I will be devastated if they don't take him. I have just totally fallen in love with this kid on the mound. Yeah, definitely a guy that I'd like to see the Red Sox get. The only reason that I didn't have him number one was because this is a weird draft, so why not get weird? My number one was Nick Bitsko, who graduated a year early, which made him eligible at 17 instead of 18. Uh, pretty similar frame, um, 6'4", bit thicker at 225, uh, but really similar grades. 60 fastball, 60 curveball, 55 again on the control as a young prep arm which is incredibly enticing for that kind of frame and that skill set so that's something that i immediately got drawn to but so it's really only a couple things that put bits go above it just him being 17 and able to have essentially like an extra year of development with him compared to pretty much everybody else in the draft uh, but then his frame being a bit thicker and a bit sturdier than able maybe a little bit more interested in bits go just for those kind of uh two reasons unrelated to their skill set but that's just kind of where my mind went but again a prep with a 55 control is just it's really enticing and something that i really like and i'm even more impressed to see that he's got the 55 as a 17 year old um so somebody that i would be interested if abel went before the red Sox, maybe bitsko could be a nice little fallback for him yeah bitsko is an interesting one um he's been all over the place too um i think he's gonna be gone early 
Um, it seems like he's kind of getting he's kind of getting a ton of helium. Um, Baseball America has him at eight in their latest block going to the Padres. Ooh. Um, yeah, that's high. Yeah, so it's we'll see. They said, um, but I mean they saying he could go much lower than that too. So, I mean, that this whole class, there's kind of that trio of the prep righties. I didn't have Bisco on my list, but he's in that group with Abel and uh, Jared Kelly. Um, those three guys are all sort of in the mix in that, like, 10 to 30 range where, like, anything can really happen. It'll be fun to watch play out. And we will be assuming, um, well, yeah, I guess I'll – actually be on the next one too i think so we'll be able to do a draft recap with jake i will not but i will write that plenty about it and to the point where i won't I really want to talk will. about it anymore. yeah <laughs> nice all right well that wraps up our targets for the draft again first round on wednesday two through five on thursday televised on espn for your viewing pleasure uh let's get into some listener questions first question comes from shane bua and he wants to know, how about them, is it Lotte Giants? I don't know. I thought it was just Lot, Lot Giants. I just Lot, I don't know. Lot Giants. Even watching the Korean Pencil. stuff? Korean League? I haven't. Um, it's on very early. So I've been, I mean, I haven't been watching it live. I've been seeing highlights and recaps that folks have been posting on Twitter. And that has been very entertaining. But I haven't been following uh, full games. So I haven't really been, I've watched pretty much every game they put on i record them every night and then oh, wow. when i'm doing like my morning work stuff um i have it on the background on mute so i can't really tell you too too much about what's actually happening in the season uh, but i have definitely enjoyed having that sort of background entertainment baseball which is one of my favorite parts about baseball is it's on all day during the summer most days so you can kind of have it on the background so um i couldn't tell you anything about the giants but i have I'm a fan of the Korean baseball. I'm a fan of, I don't know which team does it, but one of the teams fills the uh, seats behind the plate with stuffed animals, and it is fantastic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. That's Yeah, that's one thing that I really missed. Um, I normally have a lot of business trips to the West Coast during the spring, and being on the West Coast and having the first baseball game start up at 10 a.m. Oh, and yeah, basically it just runs from 10 a.m. to midnight all day. It's just constant baseball. Yeah. So great. Really miss that. All right. Well, next question from uh, Arya Geffen. I hope I didn't butcher that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Arya. Uh, is there part of you that doesn't want baseball to be played this year? What would... Um, Oh, that would mean, there we go, <laughs> that would mean the Red Sox get Verdugo and Downs without Mookie playing a single game for the Giants, and Sale would miss much less playing time recovering from Teach. I mean, no, because I'd rather have baseball and be able to watch these guys play versus, uh, I think it would be funny if Betts never played for the Dodgers after that trade. I think Dodgers fans would rightly be furious. Um, but there's also the chance that he signs because this offseason is going to be really weird and teams are probably not going to spend any kind of money at all. It's a really good chance he's going to sign a one-year deal uh, just to get to baseball in a better place with financials to cash in on that big deal. So he may end up just signing a one-year deal with the Dodgers anyway because that roster is loaded and will still be primed for a World Series run. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at too. I also – well, first of all, the sale missing much time, I don't really think that matters too much he's missing that time either way so i don't really yeah know why i would care that much but also uh the they're not being baseball this year would be a disaster for the red sox um because the luxury tax penalties do not reset unless they play a game this year so if they have to if they did all that to get under the luxury tax to reset it for next off season and then they have to do it again for another entire calendar year um that would suck so the Red Sox are very much want baseball to be played this year. That was their entire plan, and it would go out the window if there's no baseball this year. Yep. Not great. Uh, ben Jacobson, so our next question, why does baseball want a sport to die? Great question, Ben. I don't know. Uh, well, it's frustrating, though. They don't want the sport to die. They just don't care about the league, and they want uh, money. They just want profits. Yeah. That would be the answer. 
I guess, yeah, baseball wouldn't die, but Major League Baseball would. Um, <clears throat> Jeremiah says, what is baseball? I have forgotten. I think you're listening to the wrong podcast. If you don't know what baseball is, <laughs> you probably don't know what we've been talking about to this point, so we lost it. And then Jack Brown, our last question. Hypothetically, if an 82-game season starts early July with expanded playoffs, how do you think the Red Sox would make out games played only versus AL East and NL East? I don't think they'd make out very well because those are the two pretty much most stacked divisions. I don't know if that's going back to um, – I don't know if that was an actual proposal or if there's been so much stuff that's floated out. I can't remember if it was an I official think that's, proposal or just something that got floated. But I think that's pretty much been like accepted if there's baseball this year. It's going to be – that's going to be how okay. it's going to be played. Yeah. I mean, particularly the NL East. I mean, the Phillies are loaded. The Mets are loaded. The Nationals are loaded. Um, the one that I the Braves, um, well, I would say, are the favorite in the, the division. One. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're loaded. Uh, the Marlins are not, but you're basically adding. Uh, I think all four of those teams are better than the Red Sox. So I thought they were already behind the Yankees and Tampa Bay, and now they would be behind four more teams. I think their best case scenario, even in a short sprint of a season, would be to finish seventh. So <laughs> I don't think they do very good. Yeah. So I. Looked into this, and I'm trying to find um, the article, and I can't find it. But I looked at like preseason projections from before baseball stopped, and kind of saw where the Red Sox fit in. Um, I agree with you that it's definitely not great. The projections are actually a little bit better than I thought. I think I did. I just did an average between Fangraphs and uh, Baseball Prospectus's uh, projected standings. And I think the Red Sox were fifth. In between, they were behind the Mets and ahead of the Phillies. Um, I think I said I would have them behind the Phillies as well in sixth. So I, I don't think they would make the playoffs, but I think they would be in that kind of middle tier of teams. Um, but yeah, like you said, they're adding more strong teams than weak teams, so it's definitely not a good thing for the Red Sox. Not at all. Not at all. Although, I would be really entertained to see the race for the bottom there between the Marlins Marlins and the Orioles Orioles, because they would now be playing just basically a powerhouse every night and they would really struggle for wins and just watching those two teams just get drilled especially in a night out would be really entertaining especially if it was like a 50 game season um one of those teams might end with a single digit win total yeah (laughs) for sure and I mean it probably would come down to how they did in like a head to head. Yeah, exactly. If one of them dominated. Then <laughs> that I think would be the most entertaining thing about that setup. Yeah, probably that would be. Um, I would never watch those games, but I would certainly check the box scores. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Same. Alrighty. Well, that's gonna do it for episode one sixty four. This has been the Red Seat Podcast, brought to you by Over the Monster, SB Nation, all that jazz. I've been your host for the day, Keaton Drosher. You can follow me on Twitter at Keats. You can follow Matt at Over the Monster and all the great stuff we have going on on that Twitter feed and at the website, of course. And um, if you just want to see how Jake is doing, you can go ahead and pop in on him at Dev Jake. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a post-draft. And thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with a post-draft recap.